0: hey real talk podcast listeners people across canada are watching edmonton police officers dismantle homeless encampments as temperatures drop below minus 30 amid the outcry we've seen fires fatalities weapons seizures and other disturbing trends advocates say the shelter system's broken the general public knows the whole situation is unsustainable so what's the fix this is a relay project Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Real Talk. In our neck of the woods where we live in Alberta's capital city in the province of Edmonton. Right now with wind chill, it's minus 30 or so. It's set to drop, if you can believe it, another 10 degrees We're going to be looking at Arctic-esque temperatures coming up over the weekend, this as Edmonton police dismantle homeless encampments across the city, including in the city's core and the River Valley. It's a story that's been making national news. You may have a strong feeling on it, and you may not feel exactly the same as the person right next to you. What's the solution? That's what we're going to talk about today with Edmonton City Councilor Aaron Paquette, plus Rene Vaujois, who's the founder of the Coalition for Justice and Human Rights. About 45 minutes into this episode, we're going to check in with the freezing father. His name's Peter Burgess. I met him years ago, shortly after he had lost his beloved daughter, Ilan, at three years old. They didn't know why at the time. A mystery illness that came in. Fast and left their family devastated. Every year since then, Peter has honored the memory of his daughter by camping out for a week. And this is the last year he's going to do it, raising money for the stallery. We've often joked, Peter and I, that every time he does it, it winds up being the coldest week of the year. And this year is no exception. We're going to do what we can to help him raise funds for an incredible cause. All of that coming up in this episode of Real Talk, which is being made possible by a team that wants to put news headlines on your radar that... Well, they may have been flying under the surface, have you been noticing all through the year uh, national news outlets reporting on credential fraud on the rise? We've seen it with nurses, we've seen it with oil patch workers, personal support workers, long term care centers. Uh, fake credentials, quite frankly, putting people's safety at risk. Well, luckily, there's an innovative technology that's making credential fraud a thing of the past. They're called digital verifiable credentials. They're secure, they're cloud based, and they go way beyond traditional certificates you can't forge them verifiable credentials are tamper proof independently verifiable they use open web standards they're trusted and real time they live in digital wallets they can be managed and shared from anywhere and with we know training they can plug seamlessly into your training courses if you want to learn more about using verifiable credentials in your training or credentialing program visit verifiablecredentials.ca Joined by Rene Bourgeois, uh, City Councilor Aaron Paquette. A warm welcome to both of you. Thanks for being here. Renee. in particular, yourself, your group... Uh, is in court right now as we're recording this episode, but you've decided to join us in studio. I thank you for that. What's the argument being made in court today?
1: Well, um, we've kind of got a few things going on. So we're in court today and tomorrow, and then we also have a larger kind of litigation process going on. So um, today, really, we're just kind of addressing the, what we're trying to do today and tomorrow is putting an injunction around encampments. So asking for a stop and a halt to any further decampments in the city until we can get through this larger lawsuit, which is really challenging the city's approach to encampments and that they challenge our charter rights. Um, So that is a much bigger thing that we're not in court for uh, these next two days. The next two days today, we're really uh, responding to the um, city's uh, pushback around how they feel that perhaps the coalition is not uh, representing in the public interest. Uh, You know, we're just trying to address their Yeah, there are concerns about the litigation and then tomorrow we're actually going into uh, the the decisions around the injunction and if the injunction will be put in place until this larger lawsuit kind of goes through the process around the charter rights. So
0: I know that this, this puts the counselor in an interesting position, you know, that I can't ask you to speak on behalf of the city and you can't comment on some matters that are before the court, but people also know you to be a person that speaks in earnest, a person that speaks with empathy. And you, you have a track record here on real talk of saying what you think. Uh, so why don't you assess for us right now? What's happening?
2: Yeah. So, and and you hit it right on the head. I can't speak for the city. Uh, only council can do that. Yeah. I can speak for myself and my perspective and the perspective, I'm hearing from my residents Um, and so the way we're looking at it is okay so first of all because of the cold weather uh, the city won't and police won't be going into clear encampments anyway so that's you know one benefit I suppose uh, depending on how you look at it but the situation is that we've got these encampments we've got people in our streets and this is not unique to Edmonton of course we all know Mm -hmm. that this is running across the country but Edmonton seems to have Sort of the lion's share simply because we are the most northern large city in Canada. And we also happen to be sort of a crossroads for people who are coming to get treatment or they're going to the doctor or they've got a family emergency. And then sometimes people just stay and their lives kind of fall apart and they end up on the streets. So this is sort of the the challenge that we have. um, And we can lay out like what's gone wrong, what are the challenges. But really the question is. Um, That everyone is asking, and no one seems to be standing up to answer, is how do we solve this? How do we fix it?
0: Uh, We're hearing from from spokespersons and there have been journalists that have been doing their best to cover this story from a number of different angles. The the one thing we know for sure, Renee, is that there's nothing new about encampments and that this is not limited to Edmonton. Some people are saying, well, there's not enough space in shelters. Other people are saying, well, that's bullshit. There's lots of space, but nobody wants to go into the shelters. There's there's situations in the shelters that are unenviable. Number one, I mean, uh, one of the barriers, I think, to entering a shelter is is the requirement for some of them of, of sobriety and that's not working mm-hmm. for people either. Can, can we get into this on, on how these came about? Why they are the way they are? Can, can you help educate us?
1: Why these are? When you say these what do you mean by the encampments. These? Why they are the way they are.
0: Like, why are they oh. here? Why isn't oh. everybody able to find a bed in the shelter? Is it because there's no funding? Is it because there's no space? What What's your there, assessment? There is
1: a lack of space. Absolutely, there is a lack of space. But you have to add in a lot of other factors to that. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to go maybe against the grain a little bit, but, you know, in, in all my years with the coalition and the work, uh, we've had numerous issues come to us around the shelters. Um, and. Treatment of people within, uh, treatment of staff, um, they're not great spaces, and a lot of folks have been banned from them. Um, they're not a space where people choose to go. Um, they're not a space that people have defined as clean, cleanly necessarily, friendly. Um, I've been told about making choices, having to make choices between having a bed or taking prescriptions. Um they're not a dignified place from what I hear from people in the community. Um, That's become a really awkward topic. Nobody will touch the fact that shelter standards at the the very core are a piece of this. And also having shelters that aren't based in a specific ideology or Christian mentality is really, really important, especially when you think that 60 to 65% of the people who are on our streets at, unfortunately are indigenous folks and so we have this situation or these these shelters where they go in and it's not it's not friendly to them and it reinforces trauma that exists as well um, from the past so there's a lot of elements around the shelter standards which are problematic but there are there are not enough spaces in the city we have over the last since covid 2020 2019 the the numbers of homelessness has just has skyrocketed in the city um, and we don't have the capacity and we're not responding in, in the ways that are needed. Um, so there's a lot of elements to ha- the the shelter system, the nonprofits that are responding to uh, the situation, how they're doing it, the conditions that they're creating, but also just the approach to addressing housing is fundamentally problematic. And the way that the government, you know, that when we're looking at stats, uh, the number of beds, what's included in there is transitional beds um which which are not easy access points for people to just walk up and get a bed. It's so it's 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 quite a complicated layered situation, but shelter standards is is a big piece of it. And there's not enough room. What
0: what's like how has the conversation been going in council chambers? Like is this like how how is the situation different now than it was like six or twelve or twenty-four months ago?
2: Well let's go pre-COVID we yeah. were actually dropping the numbers of yeah. people who with who are without a home. Uh, we were actually decreasing those. In other words, making progress. Yeah, yeah, we were making progress. Yep. We were succeeding. COVID hit and everything exploded. Yep. Um, addictions went on the rise. Yes. People in precarious financial positions went on the rise. So, And that's a real risk. Um, we've got a lot of people who are sort of on the edge of poverty, yeah. who are on the edge of not being able to pay their rent. As soon as, uh, as some unforeseen incident happens, they're on the streets. So these are problems that have been growing. And uh, so it's actually kind of heartbreaking to see what the situation is now. One thing that we should understand is that the city actually drafted minimum shelter standards uh, for the problems to follow. And let's make this clear right out of the gate. The city is not responsible for shelters for housing for mental health or addictions we do not have that authority we don't have the budget this is legislated and this is even in the in the uh, constitution
0: so this is you saying that's the province and the feds
2: yeah and i'm not passing the buck because if we could take that buck and run with it we would and we would try to solve this immediately these are provincial responsibilities and to a lesser extent federal and then to the least extent municipal meanwhile uh people are seeing it in our streets and so they're saying well why isn't the city doing more and that's a very fair question if we don't know who is responsible for what. And so um, I hope I'm making this very clear for all your listeners that that is the situation in Alberta. It's not the situation across Canada. And I know you have listeners across Canada. In Ontario, it's a little bit different. Uh, they get a lot of money from the province and uh, the municipalities are actually, um, have way more leeway on housing and, uh, and these kinds of things. We don't in Alberta, which mm-hmm. is why you see a lot of these issues. And by the way, Edmonton streets are also Alberta streets. They're also Canadian streets. So when we're looking at these issues, we have to remember this should be an all-hands-on effort. Danielle Smith said herself that our addictions and mental health crisis in the streets is a crisis. And so my question would be, where's the crisis action?
0: You have been an Edmonton city councillor working with three different Alberta premiers, right? If if my math is correct. That's correct. Uh, The NDP Premier, Rachel Notley, and then Jason Kenney and, and Danielle Smith. How have the three... Different governments under those three different premiers responded differently to this.
2: Well, uh, the Notley government was very serious about uh, uh, these sort of issues. So child co- poverty was cut in half. Uh, as I said, we were actually decreasing the number of people who were uh, you know, homeless. When Kenny came on board, he ripped up city charters, which was a way for cities to share in the province's wealth and uh, and in the misfortune as well. But it gave us some surety on funding. That's gone. They also cut. In 2019, housing, mental health and addictions funding, like that was cut uh, to a large degree. Right before Kenny left, he was like, okay, we'll do something about this. We're still kind of waiting. And so we're waiting now. And this... This premier talks a lot about recovery, which is great if people who wanted recovery could actually get a spot, but that just doesn't exist right now.
0: How has your advocacy changed over the years, Renee? Like, how, how is it different now than three years ago? I think that, to be honest, I mean, some of the emails we get, I'm going to read some of those uh, them as part of our conversation here today. But I think members of the general public uh, that can't necessarily relate to this story, like heaven forbid, and, and and how does that saying go? That but by the grace of God, there go I. So I think people do realize. Um, that this is a very real situation. I don't get the sense from from correspondence from members of this audience that anybody feels like this is not their problem. Right. I think most people are feeling like, you, you feel it in your gut uh, when you feel, and it's mixed feelings that some people feel. And I would include myself in this, actually. Let me just speak for myself.
1: Speak for yourself. That makes it
0: easier, doesn't <laughs> it? If I say, gosh, I see a, I see a, a woman experiencing homelessness, uh, talk to a journalist and say, they've just t- taken my stuff you know they, they they they've taken my belongings uh it's going to be you know frigid next week and they've taken my belongings and you go oh it's like a punch in the gut you understand and then on the flip side you go i i kind of get that that at, at, at some point, uh, we can't just have encampments everywhere downtown. That's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not safe. It's not an ideal circumstance. In some circumstances, we might be talking about private property. We can get into all that kind of stuff. Um, starting to argue about property laws with somebody experiencing homelessness in minus 30 is not the avenue I would take. But I think you'll take my point. Mm-hmm. So the average person probably comes at this from different directions, feeling many different things. You have a very informed perspective on this how's it different now than it was just a short time ago
1: in terms of my the advocacy approach well i I mean we were at the i mean throughout covid as everything was exploded you know the peck camp the peace camp like all these things that were emerging there there was becoming this notion i think um in the grassroots community that it was time to start taking space and claiming space um and even strategies kind of discussed around that um because There's no seriousness around addressing the issue from the from the perspective of people who are unhoused, Um, and trying to address these facts that when we're in encampments and when they're decamped, the constant loss of properties keeps people in a constant survival mode. So, and and shelters, we don't have 24/7 shelters. So you got to get up in the morning, you got to keep moving. You got there's no you have to keep this transient lifestyle, but not really even be able to engage in bettering your life, Um, and so. I get that the camps are not a desirable thing and there's a lot of bias in that around them, but there's also a lot of beauty within them. And I think there's ways that can be worked with the camps that the reality is is they fucking exist. Mm. We can't just say, get rid of them all. They, they they exist. So let's figure out a strategy of doing this in a way that's going to work. And that's going to be dignified. And where, you know, the, the law enforcement angle is coming out. There's crime in there and there's all these problems. But there's ways of dealing with it that's not going to be about decamping everyone. It's like painting everyone with the same brush. It's, it's extreme discrimination, actually, my point. So I think while... Three years ago, maybe doing more frontline work in camps and with people on the streets and trying to identify like when we have a a case of uh, police excessive force and, you know, filing professional standards. It's at the point where it's like, no, we're going to take these to the courts. It's time to go serious so we can shift some things in terms of poverty law in Alberta because we need to.
2: Okay. So good. But again, to my point, we should probably, and I'm just going to put it out there, be targeting the right level of government for the right level of change. Uh, Because like our encampment strategy, which is literally an attempt Mm -hmm. to keep people safe, and it's going to be imperfect because we have imperfect tools. And I I understand your point, but let me put it this way. Um, Almost a year ago, we embarked on a journey at council to get our administration to develop Strategies for how we could have safe, managed encampments. If encampments are going to be there anyway and we can't do anything about it, Who, who's how being involved do we do in those this?
1: conversations, though, Aaron? I can bet you every time when I'm working with folks at Neckham, Bear all those places, those folks are not invited to those tables. So interesting. Community Safety and Wellbeing Task Force, all that work that's happening those folks have not been invited to the table this is a fundamental problem if we're always working with these same agencies that are doing this work like hope and bissell and stuff that we're missing the point fucking point. and i
2: agree with you completely so i would say that part of this one of the thing that i made a motion on is how do we do uh indigenous led managed encampments and yeah. that effort is going on we have some elders involved uh that are very respected in the community we've got some people who are working in the, in like social helping professions who are involved in this so the work is happening it's just not made public yet
0: how would th- how would that can, can we talk about right how that would work i mean would would this be like the city sets aside land and people are assigned plots and they can set up their tent and this is a semi permanent situation and there's like there, there's sort of like porta potties and you start water to have trucked rolls in and, the camps. i mean is this like is this what we're talking about
2: well yeah and but we're trying to get, uh to their credit the problems did uh, fund more shelter spaces but we're trying to get cooperation for the province on these efforts because one of the things that's going to be essential is permanent wraparound supports and helping people to transition because there's a lot of distrust in the yeah. homeless community about yeah. the system sure she yeah. figure out why but yeah. uh so and even the how agencies. do we, yeah and the agencies so how do we do this in a way that there's the supports and it's not how do we do in a permanent cabin? how do we do this that means that people transition as they are ready out of addiction, out of homelessness, out of encampments. Some people are ready right now. And into employment, into jobs, into therapy, all of the things that are needed in this effort.
0: So you, but, but, uh, okay, um... I don't know so i'm not going to pretend like i know about this stuff okay i just have questions and so you might roll your eyes at some of the questions but i think they're fair ones uh because you know we're we, we hear from reputable and reliable sources that some of the encampments and some of the things happening in encampments are horrific uh reports of physical and sexual assaults reports of a man being burned alive uh reports of cartels running some of these encampments the edmonton police tweeting uh, you can see it yourself from their account at Edmonton police on January 9th, a large a cache of weapons uh, discovered in the encampment. Renee, uh, you, you can speak to this, of course, but I just want to for a podcast audience that can't see it on YouTube, samurai swords and machetes and knives, axes, brass knuckles, collapsible batons, pellet guns, uh, a crossbow. I mean, like, you know, so, I mean, obviously can we acknowledge that you, you can't have sort of an unmonitored uh, and if I say unpoliced, I'll understand that's a loaded word. But there' like there's stuff happening in these encampments. I don't think any I haven't found anyone that's denying that that stuff's happening. That, that is very extremely concerning, not just to the people mm-hmm. that are living there and yeah. set up there, but also to the members of the general public.
1: Well, an EPS is going to want to create that narrative because it's going to justify the whole. Po- but you don't point think they decamping. planted the
0: weapons? I don't. Do I'm
1: not saying that at all, yeah. Ryan. If I had to go stay in a camp right now by myself as a single woman because I was homeless. I would have a bloody knife beside me. Sure. You wouldn't I'm have sorry. 10
0: samurai swords. No,
1: but that we also have to define what what is weapons. I mean, you're you're listing the ones that are like, yeah, those are weapons, but there are other things that were, were part of those pictures that are questionable. And and there is this point of, let's talk gun laws then. Like we're allowed to have guns. Like, like let's let's not be so drastic on our extreme about this. But recognizing that what I've heard in the community is people are, because of the the pressures around decampments too, there is this feeling that people need to Um, protect themselves. People have been starting to prepare themselves for when police come in Mm. because they're actually so afraid of the police. And some of the things that went down yesterday um, in Roland uh, Road show that why people maybe are weaponing up to protect themselves as well, because that relationship with law enforcement is not healthy
0: can you explain to the audience that may not be familiar what happened there, there allegedly also there say. was a
1: young man taken down yesterday he was being held down by about five or six police officers and was tasered um at the end of the video looks lifeless I, I know I know he's not past but there's an extreme use of force in our city by law enforcement in many occasions and I don't care if anybody wants to argue with me on that we can look at Pacey Dumas we can look at Victor Nguyen we can look at all these cases and police violence in this city um, is particularly um, concerning around the encampments around people who are unhoused and and around indigenous folks Um, and so we really need to pay attention to that and 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 so there's this piece about the weapons and this narrative that's going to be created, but there's also this piece about as somebody who's in an encampment, what is my right to defend myself, um, especially against, some people are seeing this as a war. I've heard it described as a war. Um, and so we need to really be conscious A war of against
0: whom or a war involving whom?
1: <clears throat> it's the war, you know, I've heard like between law enforcement and between people, people in camps, people who are unhoused. That's how they, there's a feeling of that. Um, And that we have to remember that this is weapons that are collected. Aren't necessarily being used for, um, specific like crimes it's 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 so not black and white you can't paint any of this black and white that this is all those weapons were for this crime. show
0: lives in shades of gray and that's fine yeah and and, and and i mean i would i would say if i were i, I would be terrified to be on the street yep. and i wouldn't put it past anybody to have a but some method of protecting themselves i just you know i mean I'm, I'm trying to like walk miles in these shoes and understand it let me read you an email we okay. got from christopher uh you can see it, it's a real email um <laughs> and uh and 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 christopher says as i write this. Email, email, the, the one you just referenced. He says, the encampment on uh, 95th Street and Roland Road in Edmonton, uh, for people that don't live here, that's just east of downtown along the River Valley. Uh, he says, as I write this email, it's being dismantled. Uh, the, the encampment is. He says, unlike most people, I have a unique insight as I live right across the street, and I've witnessed the encampment from day one. Uh, Chris says, I've never been against people setting up a tent for purposes of shelter. Uh, my concern stems around everything else that has happened since the encampment was set up. He says, in the last two weeks alone, Our parkade's been broken into twice. Multiple bikes were stolen. We have the video showing who did it. Fireworks have been set off multiple times in the middle of the night for days on end. The tactical team was here surrounding our building uh, and along the street the other day due to somebody wielding a weapon. We witnessed arrests being made. He says, and lastly, there was an alleged sexual assault. He says, I understand completely that shelter is important, but so is community safety. Why should we as a community have to put up with the crime? what would you say to christopher
1: i it, this is a symptom and not the root cause so these are symptoms these are symptoms of this issue that we're all talking about like and 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 we always make that jump from that it's the it's the camp's fault that these things are happening um and so i think we have to step back and understand that some of these symptoms of what's happening of the unhoused c- community um what people may associate with that are symptoms of a larger issue. Um, and so when we get stuck in those symptoms conversations, we're always going to be spinning our wheels and we need to get to the root causes. And I want to bring it back to the jurisdiction piece because <clears throat> Councillor pa- Paquette hits on that. And I, and I appreciate the fact that maybe the coalition is directing, um, the case at the wrong place, but we have to start somewhere we have to start somewhere and we have to set some precedence and regardless when you look at economic rights in this country housing food there's no clarity on what role of like what government should be taking the leadership like food for example there's there's no clarity on that ec- economic right so we need to stop i realize that the city's carrying a lot of burden but there's got to be a different approach in terms of how we collectively work on this and and the realization that all the jurisdiction gaps that we have, it's got to be the people that push for the change. So I don't know. I, I appreciate the email from Christopher. Um, I appreciate the concerns. I've had camps right in my backyard, bikes going missing and stuff like that as well. But again, it's a symptom. Um, and so we can't punish a whole group of people. And just the approach that we're taking with decampments doesn't help the situation is actually making it worse
0: uh in in a second we're, we're going to take a real quick break and then i'm going to hand the mic back to to counselor i know you've got a lot to say and i, and I also want to ask you renee like what what happens to people decamped interesting use as a verb what happens when people are Decamped. Uh, we'll get into that. Plus, our audience is on this today. I want to get to the live chat and honor that because there's a lot of comments in here. Uh, we're talking to Renee Fauchois from the uh, Coalition for Justice and Human Rights and Ward Dene City Councilor Aaron Paquette joining us in studio. This conversation is made possible with the support of Real Talk partners like our friends at Friesen Brothers who want to let you know that the seasonal January bakery treats are here. You can taste their new roasted onion sourdough. It's a robust sourdough and. Used with the comforting essence of roasted onions or their chocolate truffle-dipped shortbread cookies, buttery cookies dipped in rich chocolate, or their exclusive cream cheese caramel tort, which tastes even better than it sounds. All of this available for a limited time only. You can find more information by checking out the flyer link at Friesen.com. That's their weekly flyer, or you can find it at any of their 16 locations across Alberta. Friesen Brothers is Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned our friends at california closets are here to help you get on track when it comes to your new year's resolution you want to get more organized in january you want to declutter your space whether it's the closet in your room whether it's the kids craft area maybe it's your home office heck it might even be your garage you're tripping over those spare tires you haven't been able to find your battery chargers for six months I'm talking about myself, exactly. I'm literally talking about myself. This all starts with a free consultation at californiaclosets.ca. We've worked with their team. We see how they operate. They'll have ideas you haven't even dreamed of, and chances are they're going to get that job done before you even know it. California Closets. Nobody does custom storage solutions like they do. And if your January means a new opportunity, a fresh start, better preparing yourself for what life has in store, including new opportunities on the employment front, you're going to want to take two seconds to check out AthabascaU.ca. Athabasca University is Canada's open university with world-class accredited online degrees and courses that are designed so you can complete your education wherever and whenever it works for you. You know, there's opportunities around trans for credits, even if you were going somewhere else to school years ago. What about tuition and fees? Looking for financial support? There's a lot of resources there as well. The best part about this, there's no commute. Your only commute is to your device, so it's guaranteed to work with your schedule. Open your options with the online offerings at Athabasca University. You can find them online at AthabascaU.ca Tough subject matter with Edmonton City Councilor Aaron Paquette and uh, advocate and activists. Can I call you an activist, Renee? Uh, you are. You're bouncing in your seat here. The passion is evident. You obviously care a great deal about what you and I have known each other for more than 10 years. And uh, and uh, you're here representing the Coalition for Justice and Human Rights group where you're a founder, and you've done a lot of work with them. I want to get to our live chat here on YouTube for a second. Um, a lot of people are, are, are sharing their own personal thoughts here. Justin says, I don't know if there's a good solution here. These encampments are against the law, and they're dangerous for those living there and around them. Uh, just look at the weapons that were seized including those guns but he says but it's also dehumanizing uh what we're doing to people as well uh ma says every city councilor should have to sleep on the streets for just one night in this weather to give them a perspective check uh lou says uh, those atco trailers could be a solution he says we got to take care of these folks uh plane power says a person found dead and frozen earlier this week in the river valley with their cart of goods he says what an absolutely devastating circumstance self-advocacy federation is in the chat today good handle says it costs hundreds of dollars a day to incarcerate somebody in the remand he says it costs thousands of dollars a day if somebody's in the icu he says and it costs thousands and thousands of dollars a year to provide housing with wraparound supports giving the perspective check on the finances there uh goes on to say shelters a plane power does will not permit personal items to be brought in they won't allow intoxicated persons to enter There are too many reasons to reject occupants. Somebody else pointed out, by the way, if you have a pet, you can't get into a shelter, says they're not dignified. They're basically temporary prisons that are kicking out temporary residents out into the outdoors at seven in the morning. Sharon says it's all red tape when it comes to shelter standards, uh, which is another barrier that's standing in the way. Uh, We have a lot of people talking about, you know, basically the roles of government. Aaron, you know, you forecasted this comment, people talking about elected representatives representatives passing the buck Uh, watch my stuff the handle on YouTube says taxpayers who were forced to pay for all these stupid things like pension grifts are looking to see that money reallocated Um, others are talking about how we need to have better understanding amongst the members of the general public for attitudes to change so that's that's just a a real brief look at the live chat there's hundreds of comments in there I could tell counselor that you wanted to say something right before the break and so I wanted to give you the conch
2: well the cotton, very good. That. Lord of the flies. <laughs> nice that's where we're at right, right now. Uh, so, you know, good points. So l- let's put it this way. Um, it, for every person who is unhoused in our streets, that's about an average cost to our system of $100,000 per year per person. To give someone permanent supportive housing with wraparound services, like the the highest level of, of cost that we can imagine about $80,000 a year. So right there, you're already getting savings by getting people off the street. So any government that is fiscally minded should be working on this. Um, It's it's stark and it's real. We are bleeding money by not taking care of this issue. And if we did take care of it, the savings would accrue year after year after year after year, we would be in the black uh, very, very quickly. So that's one aspect. So I agree with that completely. I want to back it up a bit. Um, I want to tell you a little story. Sure. Um, So a a lot of your uh, listeners and viewers might know that I am Indigenous. And uh, in my family, we have a long history of residential schools Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of the, uh, you know, um, child apprehensions and things like that that a lot of people have. And uh, that's been generation after generation. And that leaves a lot of scars on families. And um, one of those folks was my Uncle Kenny. Uncle Kenny had a lot of trouble uh, with alcohol and, um, you know, it was his way of coping with his pain and he didn't know a way out of it. And for anyone who's actually had an addiction, it's not like you're choosing an addiction. Some people are, I guess, depending on who you are, but a lot of people aren't. Um, It's something that uh, they don't know how to get out of. And Uncle Kenny tried many times. And we tried putting up in apartments and uh, furnishing them and things like that. But it just didn't stick. And I saw Uncle Kenny. This is actually when uh, you were working way back with, uh, I think, City TV. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was sitting right outside there. And uh, he had a a cup. And I was like, hey, Uncle Kenny. And it took him a minute to uh, recognize me. He's like, oh, hey. Um, He's like, how are you doing? Asking questions. And um, tried to give him some money. He wouldn't take it. And uh, he said, what you can do is walk with me. That's what he wanted most of all, Mm -hmm. some companionship. So we walked and we walked over to the legislature Mm -hmm. and uh, he said, let's go to that tree. And we went to a specific tree and he said, this is my favorite tree. And he got down and he sat in the roots of it. And I said, why is this your favorite? And he said, because it feels like someone's giving me a hug.
1: Hmm. Yeah, huge.
2: And uh, so... um, He very rapidly just fell asleep. So I took his cup with his change, it's Tim Hortons' cup, and I tucked it into his jacket, added a 20. And uh, that was the last time I saw Uncle Kenny alive. I'm sorry. Uh, He died in these Edmonton streets in an alley. And uh, um, I think of that a lot. Mm -hmm. And just recently, we had a relative dying from addiction um, just over the Christmas break right before Christmas. And so that's had an impact on our family for sure. So when I look at these issues, it's very personal to me. And when we're talking about encampments, we have to break this up into different kinds of groups. Some people are like my Uncle Kenny, a lot Mm -hmm. of people actually. Some people are just down on their luck for a temporary amount of time. And some people have mental illness um, or are suffering really deeply with the worst kinds of addictions. And some people are just desperate. And then, The Mm -hmm. smallest group are those who are going to commit crimes. So we should understand that instead of uh, saying, because one thing I I fear is that we, we criminalize the poor. We paint those who are suffering as if they're all criminals, and that's just not the case. And so that's why when we talk about these things, there's a lot of compassion. And I know a lot of people get frustrated because they're like, just crack some heads, break down, send them out of here. We don't want them. I get it because there is that element where you're unsure where you don't feel safe because that's happening in your neighborhood. But on the other hand, these are people who are just trying to survive. And in a system that frankly is not allowing them to fix their lives. And that's what we're working on. And as I said, it costs us less to help than the status quo. And I guarantee you, uh, this week we're going to have deaths. We're going to have, uh, amputations. Uh, we're going to have a lot of like horrible human misery in our streets that most of us would be largely unaware of
0: uh first i just want to thank you for sharing that that uh is uh, an incredible perspective check for people um and i appreciate that um yeah it's interesting you know we we live our, our house our family home like so when i first moved to edmonton for the just under the first 10 years i lived here i lived here people know boyle street like on east jasper avenue kind of like Right in the mix there of of where we're talking about. So I've I've witnessed that. I I didn't spend nights. I'm not trying to pretend like I've experienced it, uh, but it was it stared me in the face every day. And oftentimes it kind of like I would say it informed my perspective as a commentator, right, as a young coming up commentator and broadcaster in edmonton and even now our family home is is just outside of downtown and so you see a lot of the sort of the social services in action i'll see that like the hope mission the converted ambulance that's on its way to wherever and and so it it serves as this reminder that when when we're everyone's out like plugging in their vehicles or like bundling up the kids to go to school because it's minus 30 it is it is literally every single time in my mind that there are people that are outside, you know, 24 hours a day in in many, if not most circumstances, people experiencing homelessness, uh, and that it is a life threatening situation right now. Uh, This isn't a situation where there's some discomfort uh, or a situation where there's an inconvenience. Uh, It is literally a life threatening or a life claiming uh, situation. And and I think that I don't think that's lost on most people. Uh, But I think those reminders are so important. Uh, Aaron makes such a good point. Renee, that there's not you didn't say these exact words, but Mm -hmm. like there's not one quick fix or there's not one single solution, uh, which I think is one of the points that people need to take away here. Just in so many ways as there's not just one type of person or a person in one exact situation in these encampments, that there's not one quick fix or one quick solution.
1: No, there's not at all. And what was coming to my mind with uh, when Aaron was talking was uh, the story that came up for us during covid because we Worked with Alberta Arts on the Ave and stuff like that, and started this Bethel pantry um, at, at the church there. And I remember hearing from one of the folks saying, you know, just having this access to food, this like way that I could just come in and get some food, I'm not going out and, 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 committing a crime today because I'm actually getting food in my stomach so there's all these elements when we think about food is a fundamental piece of this too and it makes me think of we had Emmanuel Jahl with you uh, a number of years ago Ryan and he has the song forced to sin and so when you think about poverty and that desire even just to, to feed our basic needs there's there's something around food that we need to address as well but when I think of solutions I'm just going to throw I'm just going to throw some out there <clears throat> one 24-7 shelters are an essential component um, and I know that's been something being called for for years, but if we don't have 24/7 shelters, we're always forcing people into survival mode. We're never giving them a space during the day where they can actually try to get ahead with their work. Um, Offering storage spaces. If we're gonna exist with the existing shelters that we have, let's have some storage units so that people can keep their stuff so they can use the shelters. Support the grassroots community who's doing this work. There was a story last week of of the decampment that happened in Dawson and uh some of the nonprofit workers were down there, and there was a young woman who was in hysterics and rather than wrap the arms around this person um offered her harm reduction supplies instead, which is severely problematic in that moment uh, when she's losing her stuff, her decampments this decampment is happening, and we're offering harm reduction supplies sorry what are what are we doing there? But the people who need to be supported to do this work, Neckum, Bearclaw, those are the folks that know how to do this work, have those trusted relationships, but there's a reluctance to support them. For example, can
0: was, you can, For people that, that don't know, can yeah. you, these are sort of like grassroots, grassroots organizations. indigenous-led. Citizen-led, led, indigenous-led. Yes,
1: led. and like Neckham, for example, got some funding from the city of Edmonton last year as a pilot project for six months doing beautiful work but it's six months and it's coming to the end there's no money more money for them to keep the work going there's really good solutions there that are happening they're employing people in the camps to keep it clean doing fire education there's all these elements if we if we were having problems of fires and apartments we would be going out and doing some fire education yeah. not just taking them down so this piece about the grassroots support and who's included in the conversation last week there was an emergency council meeting called um, with the agencies in the city I would question if any of those folks that are at the grassroots were ever included in those conversations because if they're not included, it creates a whole other level of problems. Um, So we have to recognize that. So those are a couple ideas. The other thing I think we need to have, and the city can take action on this, is build a civilian oversight model for shelters. So civilians can not only look at the standards and try and enforce them, but also address any concerns or complaints that are coming in because there are numbers of complaints that come in from people who are dealing with the shelters, but there's nowhere for them to be rectified. We at the coalition have submitted a, a number of letters to hope over the years, but we, we can't get a response. Um, and litigating against those folks doesn't make sense anyway at this point. So there's these elements that are concerning um, and that that oversight, the civilian oversight should also be happening for law enforcement because the rectification of of, of law enforcement actions in these spaces. We don't have effective use there. The professional standards doesn't work. And then lastly, I'm gonna th- throw one more thing in <clears throat> and I know I'm gonna be hated for this, but I don't give a shit. <clears throat> and Poverty Edmonton, where are they? And Poverty Edmonton gets more funding per year than most organizations. I don't see them in this discussion at all. I was part of the original <clears throat> work around the mayor's task force and was chairing the housing group that start to build the roadmap from Poverty Edmonton and the housing stuff was just kind of left out. We started the Community Development Corporation. Where the hell is that? I look at their website, they've done three frickin' projects on their website. All of this resources and support that we put into the work around M poverty Edmonton at the front end, I don't know where the hell it's at. I don't see them in the conversation, but yet they're getting all these resources. And you have an organization, you have organizations in the city like the coalition who has no money. You have organizations like the John Humphrey Center for Peace and Human Rights, who's probably doing more anti poverty work in the city and making impact than EPE. And we have had none of that budget, no support from the city. So we've got to really question where the city's putting their resources, the accountability of those resources and also the province resources around the shelters we have to question these things so there's a gamut of solutions for our to think about but 24 7 shelters are fundamental
0: um i want to give you before we wrap here a chance to to respond uh, to what renee just said obviously uh you know, you, you, you I mean, fuck, you're saying what you think, that's for <laughs> sure. And calling people out. And, and sometimes that's what has to happen to impact change. And I know that that will make some people uncomfortable and probably piss some people I'm, off, I, uh, I, like you said. I, I but you but, but yeah. hey, what's the point?
1: Yeah. If, if, if well, you're I'm not going to
0: say what you think, if you're not going to hold people accountable, then why are we here? And why are we doing this? Uh, Counselor Paquette.
2: Yeah. So 24 some Niganan. Uh, it has a uh, development over at Sands. They're doing 24-7. So that's good. Just and uh, there is a, um, a shelter that the province is setting up. Um, it's it's these uh, ATCO sort of trailers uh, up in uh, Station Point, And that's the Elizabeth Rye Society is uh, managing that. So just FYI, things are happening. And we do fight for it from the city on a regular basis. But again, shelters are not our jurisdiction. We can't go and tell Hope what to do. We can't tell anyone else what to do. That's not within our realm of uh, of powers. We just can't do it. And uh, it's really frustrating to say that to people because they're like, well, just do it anyway. Just do it anyway. Okay, well, I'll I'll tell you what. Your government is not going to break the law. Um, And we're not going to go against uh, provincial legislation because they can come in and they can punish a a city council. Uh, So this is is real. We're talking about very real things. It's not that uh, anyone's turning a blind eye or they don't want to see the solutions Uh, at the city. We are desperate for solutions. And here we are stuck managing crisis after crisis. And that's what we're doing. In fact, like, you know, talking about clean encampments, we cleaned up over a million tons of garbage last year. We spent over $2.7 million on that. Um, It's a lot of money. Um, So, but... I also wanted to mention In poverty Edmonton. They've never been about frontline services. That's not their role. They I don't do frontline services. And uh, also, their funding has been uh, cut. They're actually on a on a path to absolute defunding, as long as well as our uh, community investment operating grants, because the p- the budget has been so tight that everything's getting cut. Um, so this is a real challenge and. The city has been involved in, in also building. We have our own housing corporation. I don't know if you know that. It's called Home Ed, where people can access below market housing. We invest hundreds of millions of dollars into an area that isn't even our jurisdiction. Yeah, that money could be going to transit, could be going to parks, to roads, to potholes. I'm sitting here talking you could about this. Use it this. to
0: drop property taxes. <clears throat>
2: yeah, you could. Although uh, I'm not. That's saying, a it, whole other conversation. Listen, listen. <laughs> yeah. let, let
0: me be clear about something. I'm just saying if we're listing where money could go or how money could be allocated, one option is to keep property taxes low. I would dare a politician to start talking about lowering property taxes right now. But my point simply is when we're discussing budget, like one thing that there was a, there was a comment here. I wish I could credit the the viewer. I don't remember who said it. It was early in this episode, but someone said it's Alberta. Figure it out. Yeah. Like, I I remember hearing former finance minister Jason Nixon trying to he was he was humming and hawing in the best kind of a problem for a finance minister to have is to figure out what they're going to do with the 13 billion dollar surplus. This was as 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 Premier Kenny was leaving office. So you have a province that's that's flush right now. The municipalities are fighting for their fair share. We hear about it from Alberta municipalities all the time. And then at the ground level here, we've got a city councilor talking to us right now about the reality and the average civilians going this doesn't check out.
2: Okay, so let me let me let me. A fraction of the province's surplus, a fraction, could solve this problem. Hundred percent. Yeah, and we would save money Literally in the process. Five percent of it. Yeah, it's actually really, um, it's egregious. It's almost it, it's, it's reprehensible that this is not a priority. Um, that was and a I surplus feel very for one year, by the way. Yeah, for one year, but if they do nothing. Um, We're going to need over $15 billion over the next 25 years just to try to manage this. If they do something now, Stitch in Time saves nine. uh, We will be able to solve this rapidly with noticeable results, but we need them on board. Now, let me tell you one more thing about the taxes. Uh, Toronto just came in at 108 Calgary was 7.8. You know, all of these other municipalities, Edmonton has had the lowest average tax increases of any municipality in Edmonton over the past five years. Um, And people have noticed service reductions, all of these things. It's not like there's a lot of money in the system. People will say, oh, I saw some waste. In any trillion dollar corporation, you're going to see some waste. And you're always on top of it. That's why we've got a city auditor that points it out, that finds it. There's not a lot left in the system um, because we are... Working so hard to keep taxes low. The, the difference is, is that traditionally you'd have a province that says our cities are the economic engines of this province.
0: We're going to fund them appropriately. Mm. Mm. Last word to you, Renee. You, I just saw you. You were for people to understand on the pod. You were you've been drumming your fingers on well, the table. Like I, I, I was can just tell thinking that
1: this- back to some of my early work around the mayor's task force on poverty, and one of the issues that we we're constantly facing was surplus properties and surplus access to properties. So the city and the province both have surplus surplus space but getting access that to that for housing was like banging the head on the wall Um, and so there's a piece there with the city too about opening up the capacity to use the surplus space in the city because we can't access anything even if we get the resources finding space is such a challenge but also encouraging really different grassroots solutions like Rarica now which supports like trans newcomer you young people in that into the community Uh, they're just wanting support in just renting a house so that they can support their community and create safety. So we got to think about these things in small ways as well and not just big development approaches. And and that really requires the engagement of not just those mainstream agencies that are seen as those that support the in-house. It's other agencies that are at the really grassroots level that we have to engage. They know it, they have solutions. Let's go there.
0: Okay. Jordan says uh, in the chat, shout out to the grassroots projects. Uh, Jordan goes on to say, we need to support frontline workers as well and grassroots projects working on the ground. Uh, and then we had a good comment as well here. Where was it? Somebody just basically said, this is part of the problem. It was Tara Lynn says, this is one of the problems. People don't know which organization to support. Uh, so there's that as well. Uh, we'll continue to to do what we can to educate this audience. It's the most educated audience. You know that and engaged audience in the country. Um, I will point people towards uh, you'll remember uh, a few months ago, we had Mark Charrington here in this studio and he resonated. His message resonated with a lot of you. Uh, Mark works with the Coalition for Justice and Human Rights. That's who Renee is here uh, speaking on behalf of. You can find them online at Coalition for the number four Coalition for JHR.org. We'll put that in the show notes if you'd like to learn more about what they're doing. And of course, uh, Counselor Paquette's office is easy to find as well if you'd like to send a message directly to his staff and put that in front of him. Uh, hey, but this is a bit of a random note, but you referenced Emmanuel Jal, and I just he made <laughs> such, oh do I remember <laughs> him? Uh, people can Google Emmanuel Jal, his last name J-A-L uh, Johnny, I'm showing the video here on my screen. People want to check it out. He's a, he's a refugee, right? He came to yeah. Canada from Sudan do I remember correctly? A,
1: yeah, uh, just
0: a, an incredible talent. Uh, his life experience, the early uh, life experience is horrific but the way that he emerged from that his message now is so powerful um, and more people need to know about Emmanuel Jal so google Emmanuel J-A-L add him on your Spotify your Apple music yes. and support him uh really remarkable you know that that when you mentioned his name I just went woof yeah. I remember sitting across from him He's in that radio Canadian studio and just beer. an amazing guy, yeah, amazing guy an amazing guy and, um
1: and Ryan the coalition of people donate to the coalition, we direct that to grassroots groups. So just so people know as well.
0: Okay, that's good for people to know. Uh, Counselor Aaron Paquette uh, from Ordene, uh, just a man of principle, a, a lot of people. I want you to know this. I didn't read all the comments and you talked to us about your uncle Kenny, this chat exploded. Um, a man by the name of Lou S said, uh, I, I, I dread every single day the phone call that will come about my family member. I mean, what you're saying is resonating with people, very powerful. And again, I wanna thank you for sharing that and for honoring your uncle.
2: Well, Ryan, thank you for always having these important conversations. No one else does it the way you do. I don't, you know, I I subscribe to all these different podcasts. This is the one that's talking about these issues real time that people Mm -hmm. are passionate about so thank you for doing
0: this thanks counselor that means a lot and renee from the uh, coalition for justice and human rights we're going to be talking to peter burgess in just a second he's standing by live from snow valley the freezing father as he's known but we want to recognize that this conversation is made possible by real talk partners like our friends at kubi renewable energy and they want you to know that this time of year uh if you're looking for new job new work uh you can go to kubienergy.ca and check out the careers link um They're hiring right now. They're hiring Kubi is for the spring, which means that they're looking for electricians and installers. Uh, They're going to be looking for salespersons, office managers, you name it. The team at Kubi is growing. Their fast-paced work environment powered by experienced professionals eager to share their wisdom. So even if you're an apprentice, this is a great time to reach out. If you want to work in Alberta or BC, helping Canada advance its green energy goals, it could all start today with a visit to Energy. We also wanna recognize our friends at Complete Care Restoration. Complete Care Restoration is known across the province of Alberta for what they've been doing in restoring property, rebuilding folks' peace of mind. Heaven forbid, if fire or flood strikes your home or your workplace, make Complete Care Restoration your first call. Plus, construction and renovation projects. If you're a property owner, maybe you own an office building, and the resident rates are down, all of those that have been holding leases are realizing that their employees aren't wanting to come back to work, and you're thinking of maybe doing what you can to address the affordable housing crisis or to build up on housing stock, they can help you convert those spaces. And nobody does it with more diligence than they do. They're the ones that built our studio. We've seen their work firsthand, and we recommend them with two thumbs up. You'll find them at CompleteCareRestoration.ca, We also wanted to recognize our friends at Eden Landscaping. This is the time of year where nobody, literally nobody, is probably thinking about running through the sprinkler in their backyard, but... If your outdoor space needs to be brought to life in time for summer, in time for that big graduation or anniversary or birthday party, you desperately love to welcome family and friends to your space, but it's just not where it needs to be. Now's the time to start the conversation with Eden Landscaping. Their team of designers will blow you away with the ideas they have to solving your issues, whether it's drainage, or maybe it's just a lack of inspiration. Maybe you've always wanted a water feature, but you're not not sure how to build it in. Leave it to the professionals at Eden Landscaping. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, I first met Peter Burgess a number of years ago, uh, and he immediately made an impression on me. Like I know he's about to make an impression on you. He's known across the province as the freezing father. He found himself in this scenario out of tragedy—the loss of his beloved daughter Elan. But what he's been doing. For the past number of years, in her honor, in her memory, is nothing shy of remarkable. Peter camps out one week every year to help raise funds for the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. And that's exactly what he's doing right now. He joins us live from Snow Valley, uh, which is, of course, a ski hill right in the middle of Edmonton. Peter, I see you in front of a fire there, uh, and I imagine you're doing everything you can to stay warm. But but why don't you paint a picture for us of of what the situation's like right now?
3: Well, uh, and it's it's uh, it's not too bad actually. Um, uh, no minus minus thirties yet, and uh, sleeping in a, a really warm sleeping bag, uh, lots of good gear. Uh, but I I have to say it's. Uh, it's a little more challenging than it was. I did it three years ago. Age is age is creeping up, and uh, I'm starting to feel things I, I never knew I had. Uh, it's
0: like it, it's like what with wind chill right now, Peter. As we're speaking, it's like minus thirty degrees. Uh, so it's no surprise you're feeling it a little bit. How many nights have you spent out there to this point? Uh, I got to count them. Uh, four. Wow. And uh, and this is something that, that for you, how many years have you been doing this? I'm trying to remember if I spoke to you in year one. It feels like you've been doing this for close to 10 years.
3: Uh, we, we did it for four years in a row, Ryan. And uh, sometime, somewhere in the first year, I said, I'll do this five years. And uh, that was stupid. Uh, so this will be the fifth year. And uh, this is the last year we're going to do this version of Freezing Father. We're going to do something else uh, in the future. But this version of Freezing Father is, uh, uh, my body's not (laughs) good.
0: Well, it's absolutely remarkable that you're doing it in spite of the challenges. And I know why you're doing it. Uh, You're doing it in honor and in memory of your beloved daughter, Elan. Would you tell us? The story of Elan. Would you would you take us back to July of 2007, Peter, so the audience can understand what's motivating you right now?
3: Elan was an amazing little girl. Uh, my mom had had always said, and others, we wonder what she's going to do for the world. you know Like any parent, we are biased. At any rate, uh, we got a call uh, about three o'clock on. Uh, on I don't even know what day oh, and nice. said uh, that cat uh, or that uh, Elan was having trouble waking up from her nap and so my wife Candace uh, drove to pick her up and about 45 minutes later I got a call from Candace saying uh yeah we've we've got EMS here and things are serious so so I went to the uh to the daycare and eventually to the Stollery, uh Emergency, and uh, we worked on her there. Uh, they she was having seizures, uh, but they told us she had a very high fever, and they told us that's what uh, that's what children do when they have high fevers, and so people were concerned but not extremely. Uh, and then about six o'clock. Uh, uh, she had a heart attack. That is the last thing a parent ever wants to see. I, I still doubt what happened there is still imprinted in my mind. The doctors and the nurses, they work it's it's a machine like process. They they work on worked on her and, and eventually she went up to the to the ICU, initially said well you can see her in an hour, two hours three hours uh i remember walking by door her bed was and seeing a worked at the at the hospital at the time and, and so we knew who these doctors were one thought was these are the best doctors you know there are my the second thought was you don't want those doctors standing around the kid's bed yeah because uh, it's serious so Oh, about 10 o'clock that night, they asked us to ask me to sign a form to say, allow them to do a test with some some radioactive guy. And I, I knew what that was about. Uh, so they did the test and called into a room. And at that point, uh, the doctor said, you know, we will continue to treat the land, but our focus from now on is your family. Um, and the central setting Elan is bringing in, which is obviously earth shattering and shakes your core. Um, but Candace and I got out of that room and we looked at each other and we said, what do we do with Ben? Ben is our seven year old son. He was a protector. This is where the stallery philosophy of of a a family centered care model really, really kick in my instinct for it was to was to shield ben i i would never have brought him into the room i would never have used a word like that <laughs> counselors and the social workers got together with us and helped me uh uh tell ben in an age-appropriate way that his sister wasn't coming home uh i i i'm firmly convinced that had those people not been there and help us with that the outcome with Ben would have been different we 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 took Ben into the room um and and they said when when he goes in he won't tell you in words but you will you'll be able to see from his from his uh stance or you'll be able to see physically that he's done and then the Stollery has a place called the beach and it's it's uh, it's a place where kids go up and play, and, and Ben had a couple friends there, and, and they would go up, and they'd they just full-on, 100% mayhem play, and they told us, that's, that's in process. And it, when it came time to, to tell Ben to take him in for the last time, I brought him in, and he later told me that I was so sad my legs didn't work. Sure enough, I was right around him, and his, his legs buckled. Hard thing to see they did take Lan off of the respirator and she passed away but, but you know the gifts the Stollery gave us were the gift of love and the gift of of words and an approach of how to deal with Ben and and I've often said I' I have never been so scared in my life but I've never felt so surrounded with love and and safe. You know anybody who thinks doctors don't and nurses don't get invested in their parent and their patients—they don't know what's what going
0: on. Well, Peter, obviously, They're what 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 happened to your family—most uh, people can't imagine uh, the impact that that would have. Uh, most people wouldn't know how to move forward uh, for even the first day following such a tragic loss, let alone for the rest of their lives. Um, I, I know that none of us will ever be able to understand your and your family's journey. What you have done in your daughter's honor is remarkable. Uh, Raising to this point uh, about $150,000 for the stallery uh, by putting yourself in a situation of great discomfort, (laughs) uh, camping out in the freezing cold. It's always, uh, there's nothing funny about this, but I was saying that when you and I have hung out in person, you and I have had the odd Baileys and coffee around the fire as, as, as you tell me stories about Elan and, and uh, and you and I have a wonderful friendship, but but we've always joked that, that every week that you're out, I know what will be the coldest week of the year because it's always the coldest week of the year when Peter Burgess is out camping in his tent, but you're doing it for an incredible cause. And I want to direct people that are either can understand your journey, people that have lost a child. Uh, or people that want to do everything they can uh, to ensure that the health resources are there when they need to be there to go check out your website. That's org uh And as you say on the site, it only takes a little to help a lot. You can click on that donate now link, and it'll take people to the Stollery's website uh, where they can donate. Uh, how much longer are you going to be outside, Peter? How many more are you out there through the weekend or what's your plan? I'm... Uh... My plan right now
3: is uh six o'clock on Friday. Okay. So I started six o'clock last Friday. I'm finishing six o'clock this Friday. Uh not six oh one. It's yeah. It's uh by the end of it I'm I'm pretty pretty worn out. So
0: Yeah. Well Peter, um I, I wanna let you first of all, are you are you uh welcoming visitors if somebody wants to come drop off a, a hot lunch or uh some hot chocolates or something like that, some coffee. Uh are you welcoming visitors to the Snow Valley Campground if people are listening to this from Edmonton proper?
3: Yes, yeah, sure. Um uh you, you can't drive down here uh this year. Oh you I see the, park the ski lot. Okay. Uh but if you walk down, um it's the only campfire in the-
0: <laughs> You're the you're <laughs> well, the only person camping out down there right now. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, well, freezingfather.org is where people can make the donation. I wanted to let you know, and and, and with the uh, the help um, and the incredible contributions of our Real Talk patrons, uh, these are the people that, su- that uh, support us on Patreon. We'd like to make a $500 donation uh, to get you closer to your goal. I know you're trying to raise $15,000 right now. Uh, and uh, you're at about 7, now you're at 7,500. So um, I know that this is going to reach the ears, the eyes of of somebody who has the resources to get you to your goal of $15,000 this year. I have faith in that. I have faith in this audience and this community. Um, I'm proud and honored uh, to consider you and your family, personal friends. Uh, I wish that you would have never done this because you would have never known the tragedy of losing your daughter But that is what happened, and what you have done since uh, is absolutely incredible. Um, I respect you more than you'll know. Um, It's an honor to talk to you today. I want to thank you for joining us on the show, and I want to wish you well all the way through till Friday. I'll give you the big hug next time our paths cross in person, pal.
3: Thank you, you, Ryan. Thank you so much.
0: You got it, Peter. That's Peter Burgess, a freezing father. Again, you can visit his website online. That's freezingfather.org. Uh, This is a guy, uh, he and his wife, their family, obviously, have experienced something that none of us could possibly relate to or understand. But what we do know is we need those health resources there. If we've learned anything today, uh, you can't solve every problem with funding. But funding does go a long way, doesn't it? And whether we're talking about people experiencing homelessness and encampments, whether we're talking about health resources, uh, including in neonatal and children's ICUs, uh, we understand that government funding only ever goes so far. Uh, And sometimes it's up to us uh, to do what we can, when we can, uh, whether it's a donation of $5 or $5,000, we appreciate everything and every little bit of support that you're able to commit as an audience member to the causes that resonate most strongly with you. And for a lot of people, those are going to be causes that resonate with you because of your personal circumstance or the experience that you or your family have. And we welcome your feedback as well. We welcome those personal stories. Uh, Absolutely incredible to hear from Counselor Aaron Paquette talking about his Uncle Kenny uh, and how that influences and impacts his personal perspective. You can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We want to hand you the mic. We want you uh, to be able to make the most of a connection to this audience and help us understand situations from those with firsthand experience. Those are always the most powerful testimonies. Again, that's Peter Burgess. You'll find him online at freezingfather.org We're going to take a break here to, to, to just step away from the heartbreak in the real life for a second. And, and we appreciate this every single Wednesday. It's a, it's a chance. Courtesy of our friends at tourism Jasper to get out to the mountains to focus on memories made in one of the most beautiful places on planet earth that's jasper national park and despite freezing temperatures this time of year jasper in january is an absolute institution so many families have made decades worth of memories out in the mountains just after the holiday break and that includes out at the mountain at marmot basin you know that they've got uh, about 20 centimeters of fresh snow uh, in less than a week? And plus, Jasper in January is officially kicking off this weekend. So uh, despite what you're seeing in the forecast, it's actually a perfect time of year to head out to Jasper National Park. Bundle up, shred some powder at Jasper's favorite ski resort. They've also got a lot of events uh, going on through the month as part of the Jasper in January Festival. It's easy to find those details. You just go to jasper.travel slash January Now, there's some stuff on Mountain that's happening we want to tell you about. Caribou Bar and Grill and the Eagle Smokehouse and Lounge are both going to be participating in Jasper's Poutine Showdown. Uh, We encourage you to try their barbecue brisket poutine. Plus, for the kids, they've got Mishi's Animal Adventures, which is awesome. Free s'mores on the hill. Free uh, for this part of the weekend, and then they have the uh, Après Ski Party coming up this weekend as well. They'll have demo, uh, demo days, Avalanche Awareness Days coming up in future weekends, and every day during the festival, you're going to be able to find those special details at the Caribou Bar and Grill or the Eagles Smokehouse and Lounge. I'm actually going to be heading out to the mountains this weekend myself. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to getting out to Jasper. And we're still kind of making our plans. We know that we're going to be stopping by Evil Dave's at some point. That's an absolute institution. We know that there's going to be a lot going on in Jasper's live music venues, to say the very least. And we're not going to miss that. I'm sure that I'll probably see some of you out and about if you're going to be out there as well. They've got the Girls Club DJs spinning tunes at Wine in Winter. You got the Dog Gone Brothers, the Dog Gone Brothers band out there. They got live music and jam nights happening. Don't miss Dead Dog After Dark, an evening of sultry, subtle beasts, which is gonna subtle beats, which is gonna be so cool. And then you've got the Uplift Mural Tour going on, Whiskey, Wine, and Hops, which is the ultimate apres Ski adventure, and so much more. Super Scotch Saturday, anybody for the Scotch lovers? I'm literally just scratching the surface. There's rock and roll bingo, there's Sunday Supper Club, there's karaoke Wednesdays into the middle of next week they roll out the red carpet and pull out all the stops every single year at Jasper in January again if you want to learn more just follow the links in the show notes or check out jasper.travel/january make your own my jasper memories which is presented every Wednesday here on the show by our friends at tourism jasper Coming up on Thursday's Real Talk, that's going to be coming up on January the 11th, we're going to be revisiting a question that we asked you earlier this week, and that is, does Alberta really need more liquor stores? I don't think that there's an answer to that question. At least not without hearing a few more perspectives on it. We're going to get to some of the emails that you've sent us and the comments to our posts on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Plus, we're going to be checking in with some industry experts on commerce, on competition, and see what they have to say. We hope you'll join us then.
1: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer, Josh Dunford, technical producer, John Hicks, general manager, Katie Cook-Chivers, account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego, human resources, Lena Shepherd, website design, Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.